Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. And my name is Marshall. Uh, we said it would be five minutes. It was longer than five minutes. Yeah, it was like 20. Yeah. So here's here's the thing. Uh, we wanted to do this across two episodes anyway, yeah. but we were kind of at the beginning of the last one going, I don't know, man. Mm. I may, Surely it doesn't all end up in one episode. Do we have two full ones? Is it mm-hmm. one and a half? Mm-hmm. We didn't even make it through... What we had planned for the first episode in the right. first episode. So now we're going to be pushing to get it done now. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. Which is fine. All right. So picking up where we left off, mm-hmm. we got to... Gone, I got... You got to Gandhi. I, I, I'm operating two computers when I do this. Okay. One has my notes on it, mm-hmm. which is my laptop. Mm-hmm. The other one is a keyboard in front of me that runs the screen that we're recording on. Right. And I'm using them both at once. And I'm sitting over here tapping away like crazy at these two keyboards trying to figure out which one I'm using. <laughs> um, all right. That's so funny. Yes. So we got to Gandhi. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to Gandhi, who was, you know, the champion of, you know, nonviolent resistance and uh, and obviously like a, a very, you know, a key figure, probably the most famous Indian person, maybe ever. Mm-hmm. Um, who uh, ended up being, I believe he was assassinated, actually. Um, It'd be interesting to know if he would be the most famous Indian person ever or the most famous Indian for the Western world to know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is he the most famous mm-hmm. person in Indian history to Indians? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because yeah, cause I guess everything, th- that was the era where, I mean... Things were rapidly changing with the with technology and, and the connection between the Western and Eastern world were huge. And I mean, it's kind of like the last big loss of the British Empire, right? Yeah. That, by that point, like Australia and Canada and these other places have kind of become their own thing. And so Britain's got to kind of say goodbye to the overseas empire. <laughs> yeah. Now they're just the head of the Commonwealth, which like doesn't actually like mean all that much other than like their monarchs are on our money. And, when you say it doesn't mean all it. that much, what sure. does it mean? That we're part of the Commonwealth? Yes. We've got like a low-key like side Olympic Games for the Commonwealth Games, which means Canada can actually like win some medals and some things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, technically our head of state is the king. That's our head of state. And his representative, the governor general, is technically our head of state, but they have like no executive power. It's, it's a, their figureheads only. Yeah. So like like yeah, it's just it's like the 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 you know, the British royal family is is a they're well, mascot maybe is too demeaning, but they're they're figurehead. They 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 represent they're supposed to represent what is good in the nation and the common by yeah. the commonwealth. But it's like <laughs> so for for our American <laughs> listeners this is my this is my American summary mm-hmm. of how how this went down this dissolving of the British Empire. Yeah, and I I only do this partially partially in jest, and only when I want to get a rise out of Marshall and Alex, yep. who are are Canadian. If you don't know, <laughs> surprise. Uh, basically, the British uh, Empire was the parent. Um, the United States was the kid who's like. 
I'm done with this. You can't tell me what to do. I'm out of here. Right. And stormed out. Moved out of the house when they were 16. Maybe at the age of 16, 17, <laughs> right. And Canada, Australia, and the other Commonwealth, like eventually mom and dad had to go sit down and be like, listen, <laughs> you're 30. It's time. You got a job. It's time you move out. Yeah. I know there's more to it than that. There, there's more. But that's, to it. I like to oversimplify yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, no, and that's also, that's it's fun. funny. That is fun. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely fun. Yeah, we are Canadians are a weird bunch. We are very much a halfway between Britain and the States in, in Oh yeah. So many ways. In so many ways. And just to bring this back on topic, as these other places are becoming part of the Commonwealth, mm-hmm. it's interesting that the British Empire is like, we kinda wanna hold on to India. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I wonder why. <laughs> maybe because there's a lot of money to be had in India. Yeah. yeah. Right? A ton of money to be had in India. I wonder if they had discovered the oil sands, mm. would Canada have been <laughs> let go the way that they were? Probably not, man. But there was barely anybody out there even at that point, right? Mm. I mean, you had the American West was still being won. Right. And yeah. think of how hard that life was. Now go like 3,000 miles north. Right. Like th- that's where the oil sands are. Like ain't nobody was hanging out I, there. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what I'm you mean. I'm just saying. So yeah. <laughs> if you don't know, Canada's oil reserves. Third in the world, I think. Yeah. Behind Saudi Arabia and Venezuela. Right. And yeah. so so the money, <laughs> we're not going to get into politics. No, 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 and, no. And, and environmental politics. Yeah. But the money to be had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> inside the ground in Canada is wild. Yeah, it's there. And if the British had discovered that (laughs) and had it been the Industrial Revolution where that would have been as valuable as it is today, it might have been more of like an India kind of story. Yeah. I'm just saying. I think they like fished the cod to extinction and beaver hats went out of fashion. And they're like, yeah, you know what? Just be our friend. What else is there? Back us up in war and we're good. And that's essentially what happened. Yeah. Anyways, okay, so moving back to India, so they achieve their independence, they have this Hindu identity, this national identity, which in, in part explains why the division, the, the, the boundary, when kind of the Brits divided up their, the territory they held, is kind of like all the Muslims on one side mm-hmm. and all the Hindus on another. It's not as simple as that. There are Muslims in India, but that yeah. was on purpose. Um, it also explains why... Groups like the Sikhs um, and even Muslim minorities in India um, have faced some pushback and even persecution from the Indian government. And it's also why in India we see, um, even though there was a rich history of Christian missions, starting with guys like William Carey, um, India has been very, very averse to Western Christian influences. They have Christian communities that exist in India, but they're not really allowed to proselytize. They're just, you're, they're allowed to exist. It's like, okay, if you're already lost, you yeah, fine. But yeah. but there's it's very much to be Indian is to be Hindu. Um, and that is something that we have a hard time wrapping our heads around in kind of our multicultural Western context, which is very secular and very um, diverse. But mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's that's something you impo- understand about India. The interesting thing, though, that happens is also the the Indian diaspora. So obviously, there's 
Indian people who live all over the place and them bringing their faith with them and how popular it gets at times in certain like substratas of society, right? Like I think it's George Harrison who got really into Hinduism, right? He was part right. of the Hare Krishna cult. Cult, well, sect, whatever we want to call it. Yeah. yeah Anyways, yeah. no, it's, sub, it's a blurred line. Subsect of 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 Hinduism, uh, but yeah. So like Eastern mysticism, kind of coming over, and you know, in in the quote unquote hippie era and, and whatnot, and being you know popularized by you know by kind of more kind of Americanized, Westernized versions of Hinduism, or or kind of different flavors of it. Um, that have kind of made inroads. I mean, the same is also true of other Eastern faiths, like like Buddhism in particular. I mean, you know, you, I can't tell you how many, when I was at university in Ottawa, like how many, you know, 19-year-old girls you'd meet who are like, well, I'm technically Buddhist. And you're like, okay, sure. What does that mean? What does that even yeah. mean? Right? But it, there's an appeal to it because of its its transcendent kind of focus. It's difficult to pin down which means you can't really be held to anything accountable to anything mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no like authority structure um you know and there's elements of it that are are appealing i guess it, it's it's popularized for the similar reasons that baha'i we talked about mm. in in previous episode is popular right there's there's enough space to say what well, this is what it means to me or this is what I mean by that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Without being genuinely challenged. Right. You can do that in Christianity. People do that in Christianity all the time, but there's also space to say, but this is the identifiable authority yeah. that says this. What grounds do you have to stand on? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in order to continue practicing in that, they just have to fly in the face of what stands before them and say, right. I, I don't care. Um, and there's just not space for that. Mm-hmm. In these last two religions, yep, and and also the 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 mysticism side of it all. The mysticism says there's something more that cannot be proven or disproven. Mm. It can just be mm. right, and and that that's attractive when you want there to be something more. Mm-hmm. But you don't really want to give yourself to figuring out what that might be. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, you don't want to submit yourself to what that might be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you can just sort of throw out a whole like, there's something more and it all lives up in the feels and it might be different for you than it is for me, mm-hmm. then I get to just live in those feels and call myself spiritual mm-hmm. and... Um, and, and that has its own sort of psychosomatic Mm. medicinal properties. Um, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't get challenged. There's not really room for anyone to say, we'll explain that. Yeah. (laughs) And and even trying to explain, you'd be like, you know what? I feel like explaining it just kind of goes against the nature of it all. (laughs) What it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's when we're talking about the, cause we, we will we will finally get into what what these folks actually believe in greater detail, but I think talking about how Hinduism has been exported, we have to talk about fashion. Fashion. <laughs> People love yoga pants. 
Ooh. You're wearing them now. People don't know this, but I'm on Marshall's day off. <laughs> Because this is we're film, we're recording this on a Friday, which is our day off usually. And Marshall Marshall runs around the office in uh, yoga pants. They're not yoga pants. <laughs> they are like a, they're like a halfway between a sweatpant and a cargo pant. You could have been they're wearing weird. jeans for all I know. I yeah. had no idea. I just wanted to <laughs> give people the mental image of Marshall running around in yoga pants. Oh man, yeah, I don't even know what to call what I'm wearing right now. Anyways, uh, no yoga. Yoga is probably the biggest export. I mean, we've got probably handful of yoga studios in Stratford alone. Yep. Um, so, and, and this has been an issue that has um, divided Christians in, in regards to this response because of how popular this has become just in our broader culture. But it's the kind of thing that, you know, some Christians have participated in. And Tim's going to tell us whether or not Christians should do yoga. Go. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Hmm. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This part, <laughs> right? This is this is really a touchy issue, right? For right. some people, mm-hmm. and uh, in approaching this issue, some people have taken very hard lines. Mm-hmm. Some people have just approached it absolutely with comedy, as if to dismiss it. Mm. And I, I don't think either one of those are true, mm. right? Uh, we hammer all the time on this podcast about the two revelations of God. Both are revelations of himself mm-hmm. and revelations of his glory. The general revelation and the special revelation, right? General revelation is that which is just in nature and can be observed throughout nature, can be understood through nature. Um, and, and can be tested in natural scientific ways. Mm-hmm. And there's also the special revelation. That's the Bible, the things given to us uh, by God through his prophets, mm-hmm. through the second person of the Trinity in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the special revelation. Uh, the this thing that makes yoga so controversial is that yoga... Try uh, yoga does touch on both sides, mm. right? There is the physical revelation side, mm-hmm. and there is what they would claim to be a spiritual revelation side, right? Right. And the question is can a person do one or the other and not do both? Mm. That's the question, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so like, can you do it for exercise right. and it not be participating in hin- the Hindu faith? Right. Because if we look at the physical side of yoga, we're talking about postures, mm-hmm. which is basically what it is, right? Like hold this pose yep. and stay there as long as you can. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's physical health benefit to that. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. It's scientifically yeah. true. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, you stand there with your arms out to your side. Eventually, it's going to get heavy. Oh, yeah. And you're going to struggle to hold your arms up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're standing with your palms down. Your deltoids are going to be the ones holding the mm-hmm. majority. That's the outside of your shoulder. I pointed. Mm-hmm. Yep. But so only Marshall benefits all the from listeners that. listeners could see. Um, so your deltoids are going to carry the majority of that weight. Yep. Uh, and 
and it's going to develop those muscles. Mm-hmm. It's just true. Mm-hmm. You stand on one foot long enough as a practice, mm-hmm. you're going to develop core body strength and balance. Mm-hmm. And so yoga as a physical exercise is holding poses and postures and transitioning mm-hmm. between them in order to develop physical strength, endurance, and balance. Mm-hmm. For that end, it is very effective. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very yep. effective. Oh, yeah, for sure. The yep. spiritual side of it is that while all of this is going on, because it is a very, it's a, it's an, in, I don't want to use the word low key or, or intense because we say intense workout and, and sometimes what we mean by that is good. Let me tell you something. Yoga is intense. Mm-hmm. You see these these various poses, and you're like, oh, well, they're just like frozen in that. Give it a go. Yeah, it's hard. Right? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's physically intense, but there's not a lot going on mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while these sort of slow-moving transitions between postures are taking place, and throughout the pose... The idea is that you're also supposed to be clearing your mind mm-hmm. um, in in meditations, mm-hmm. and those meditations are the spiritual side of it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the argument is, oftentimes, you can't have one without the other, mm. love and marriage, right? Right. Um, but I don't think that that's true. Yeah, yeah. That's... Like I would if if a Christian came to me and they're like, um, I I have been doing these exercises. Is God angry with me? Mm. I'd have to say no. Yeah. Right. Like if you fall, like sometimes the different satiri, uh the different satire groups will will make jokes about like someone falling and landing in a certain way mm. and and now God's disappointed in them because of the pose that they found themselves in right, right. was akin to a yoga pose. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but there's, if, if we live by grace and not by law, mm-hmm. there, there's not a list of uh, postures that a person's body is not to be found in mm-hmm. because that's sin and degrading to God and mm-hmm. the recognition of a multiplicity of God's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If a person came to me and they're like, "I go to this yoga studio, <laughs> yeah. and the whole time I'm in there, they're like crystals and they're talking meditations, and I find that myself chanting along with them is actually like mm-hmm. beneficial and all that," I'd be like, "I think that is probably something that you want to steer away from." Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because then you've you've crossed that you've you've brought the two sides of the bridge together. And, and and the truth is, hardcore yogis, which is just like the best name, hardcore yogis would say, if you're just doing the exercise and you're not doing the mental part of it, you're not doing yoga. Right. I'd say, okay, then I'm not doing yoga. Mm-hmm. But then like your super conservative Christian side of it is going to be like, if you do anything that resembles mm-hmm. those postures, you're doing yoga, which means you're also opening yourself up to demonic influence right. from the other side of it as well. And I would say, I'd say no. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I think, so yoga, 
yoga is a, an integral part of many of the kind of the sects of Hinduism. So it is very much, it was very much developed and propagated as a, as a religious practice. However, like you said, that doesn't make it stretching in certain ways and standing in certain ways inherently sinful or demonic. Mm -hmm. But I would just say essentially like the way Christian culture trends um, is kind of to the extremes. So you'll have some people say, yeah, like if you even, if you even like stretch that way, that's demonic and you're opening your spirit up, you're inviting demons into you. It's like, that doesn't even make sense because they're like playing sports. There were certain stretches when I was, you know, playing sports that were incorporated from yoga they're just like oh yeah this is this is something that like it exists in yoga and this is how you can stretch out this muscle mm-hmm. so i'm not like sitting right. there in my football pads you know worshiping krishna right but at the same time like you need discernment because like it is an inherently religious thing so it's all about discernment. I, I no no no. Let me let me finish. Hold on. Let me. I'm, okay, I'm just gonna stick to the word inherently. That's what I want to come back to. Yeah. Okay. I I think it is designed to be religious. Now that being said, I've been through yoga class. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a number of them actually. Because when I was kickboxing, our coach brought in a girl who taught yoga, um, specifically because like the the injuries that people were sustaining in that. So there was like he wanted her to lead us through some stretches that were specifically for the muscle groups that, that got the most work and were, were getting injured the most. Um, so my, my feeling was because he had kind of brought her in for that specific purpose and had specifically asked her not to include the spiritual element. I was fine with that. Mm-hmm. I would not go to her studio. Right. Absolutely. Like I just would not. Yeah. Um, so like that would, that would be my, that's my personal conviction. But I would say, Honestly, though, like if if somebody's like, you know, especially maybe if they came out of an Eastern mysticism background, like they were dabbling in that stuff and they've come out of it and they're like, I just feel like I shouldn't go anywhere near it. Then don't go anywhere near it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't burden your conscience over it. Yeah. Don't definitely don't do that. And I, you know, and I think there's there's reason to be cautious. Mm -hmm. Right. Of course. Um but at the same time, like we can't, it's not explicit enough that we can just make laws of it. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, I'm not going to rebuke a Christian who goes, who, you know, does a yoga class or something like that. I'd just be curious, you know, what's that class like? What What's what's the, you know, instructor talking about? What, what kinds of things are happening? Are you asked to say certain things? Are you asked to reflect on certain things? And how integral is that to into what you're doing? Yeah. Um, and that's where I that's where I would push back on the use of the word inherent, right? Because to say that it's inherently religious means mm-hmm. that instructor could not remove the spiritual side of it because the physical motions themselves are religious. And so, so that's to say, if if a person is like, I I did yoga, um, spiritual and all, I came to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, in the silence of my living room, mm-hmm. on in the morning, mm-hmm. I do these particular stretches and poses mm-hmm. uh, as a way of staying physically fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got Sandy Patty playing in the background the whole time I'm doing yeah. it. I I do my morning devotion ahead of time. Right. Meditation mm-hmm. is a 
an expectation mm-hmm. in Scripture, mm-hmm. right? That we would meditate on the Word of God. The, there's the difference in meditations between Eastern mysticism and Christianity are uh, polar opposites. Mm-hmm. One is about emptying your mind, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't even know exactly what that looks like. Um, the other one is about filling your mind mm-hmm. and staying focused on that thing that you filled your mind mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. So if someone came in, they're like, I did my morning devotions, I put on Point of Grace, mm-hmm. and I do some stretches mm-hmm. uh, that someone in India realized mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. are healthy, beneficial. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say do it. Yeah. And but the yogis would say that's not yoga. So I think... Sure. So that, the in- but, that, but that means that the poses themselves are not inherently spiritual. They're not inherently yoga, I think is what it is. Stretches aren't yoga. That's not, yoga is not stretch. Like, so that that's what I'm getting at, is I'm saying like, the postures of the body is not what yoga is. Like, what yoga is, is, is it's, it's doing those things alongside other things for a particular purpose. So like, if someone's like, oh yeah, I do like Christian yoga, I'm like, it's not yoga. It's not yoga. Because what yoga is, is a religious thing. You can take the stretches they do in yoga and do it in a different way for a different purpose. Yeah, I I guess I was just operating from the premise that we had, for the purposes of this conversation, divided the two. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah. And and if we're going to, and we're going to ask the question, can the two be divided? Mm. And I would say yes, Mm. whereas there is a level of, there, there are those within Christianity who would say no, right? Because the postures themselves are inherently spiritual. Yeah, and there are those who are hardcore into the the fullness of mm-hmm. yoga as a spiritual practice that mm-hmm. would say that's not yoga, right? Mm-hmm. That's just standing in an odd way. Yeah, right. So I, I I'm recognizing that there are those two positions that I would call the um, the extremes of the pendulum swing. Mm, okay. And I would say neither one of those really stand up to me, mm-hmm. and I think the two can be separated. Sure. No, I, I'm just yeah. No, that makes that makes sense logically. I'm. I guess I was coming from the angle of the people who made it up can define it, and the people mm-hmm. who made it up would say, if you're not doing this and this and this also, then it's not right. So we've yeah. co-opted part of the beneficial, the physically beneficial part. And mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly fine for people to do the physically yeah. beneficial part. Yeah. So we're actually together on that. We're yeah, just we are. We're not identifying it differently. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is. <clears throat> okay. So let's talk about what Hindus actually believe here, because we we've kind of danced around it. And one of the reasons we've danced around it is because it's really difficult to pin down. Like, there's nothing you can just like put your. I shouldn't say there's nothing. It's very difficult to put your finger on something and say. This specifically is what Hinduism is, and this is something right. that all yeah. Hindus yeah, believe, yeah. right? Um, like we said last week, it's more of like a family of religions than than one. And so a lot of times, Hinduism is described as being polytheistic, so that's there's multiple different gods, or pantheistic, everything is God. Both of those are accurate in some circumstances yeah the other one the other term and this is a new term was a new term to me actually and probably to our listeners is something called it's henotheism so what henotheism so that's h-e-n-o theism um 
is the idea of having a single deity who is worshipped, but other so who's the primary focus of worship, mm-hmm. while other gods and goddesses are worshipped alongside of or in place of or as a means of connection to the one that's there. So it's like it's somewhere on the spectrum between monotheism and polytheism, but it's, it's yeah. distinct from both. At least that's what this article was trying to argue. Yeah, so not quite Greek, where they would say Zeus is the chief of all gods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is a multiplicity of gods. Mm-hmm. Many of them find their origins from Zeus, mm-hmm. But at the same time, Zeus can be come against and all those kinds of things, yeah. right? He doesn't have sovereign rule, mm-hmm. and he's not the one who brought all things into existence. Um, he might be the one who brought other gods into existence, who brought other things into existence. Right, and, right. and they're sort of, for sort of like through some degree of separation, we have that kind of a thing. Uh, but at the same time, it, it, it's more than... Uh, a, a creative God mm. decided to create beings who would be creative right. and rule as gods. In, right. in order to use, instead of having like the deity and the natural, you would have um, the demigod, mm. right? The one who is just sort of like the in-between kind of a God. Right, right, yeah, yeah. There's, there's like in some instances, so in a lot of instances... We have Brahma, who is like the primary god, or the the like the kind of the essence of the divine, kind of this almost intangible thing, um, who is like kind of the primary, the prime mover, the unmovable mover, so to speak, of, yeah, of all yeah. things. Right, going back to you know what we were talking about earlier this year. So sometimes these other deities with other names that we might be familiar with are subservient. Sometimes they're they're almost like representations of aspects of Brahman. So and again, it like I literally I'm going to different Hindu sources to try and wrap my mind around like what is which one is it? And there's not unity even in that. Yeah. As to is Brahman like the supreme being and everything else is other beings that are connected, like are that come from him or are they representations of different aspects of him or because a lot of the, the, the sects of, of Hinduism will just focus on one and they might acknowledge the existence of others, but they get dialed right into one. And so I'll just name a few of these off that people might know. So there's Vishnu, who's supposed to be the preserver and protector mm-hmm. of the universe. And then there's Shiva, who is the destroyer of the universe. By dancing. Dancing around. Yeah, you, you've probably... Multiple arms. You've probably seen Shiva. Uh, Shiva is the one that has like one leg down, one leg up, yep. and the multiple arms, and just sort of like the half circle of, of flames around. Um, yep. Yeah, and, and all of them, all of them play a role in the cosmology of Hinduism, but gain more focus than others. And and that really comes down to, like where they come together and where they separate comes down to their understanding of time. Right. Right? Right. So we look at time as a linear thing, Mm -hmm. 
they look at time as a cyclical thing. We touched on this just briefly last time where we would say there's God who exists outside of time and space mm-hmm. and then it creates time and space. There will be a culmination of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would say there's a God who lives outside of time and space mm-hmm. or maybe even a couple, depending on how they operate within them. Right. Uh, Brahma brings it into, brings the, the new cycle to its beginning. Right. Uh, Vishnu carries them through that site, those, the fullness of that cycle. Mm-hmm. And then Shiva concludes the cycle mm-hmm. through destruction. Yeah. And then rebirth again through Brahma. Yeah. And they, they each just sort of play their role through. Yeah. Yeah. And so even in some instances, those three have been described as like a Hindu trinity, but that's a yeah. very that's oversimplified and, and only one, you know, subsection of Hindus would even agree with that. Yeah, because because if it was a, a trinity, when, when people try to compare it to Christianity and say, well, there's even, sometimes people do this, they'll say Hinduism is oh, older and also has a trinity, you stole the Trinitarian concept. No, <laughs> uh, because we would call this the sin of partialism, mm-hmm. right? If, it, if they were even to claim it as, as a trinity. Right. It's not. It's a polytheism. Mm-hmm. There are three gods with three distinct roles that they're mm-hmm. playing out. Mm-hmm. If you want to put them together as one sort of force of the universe, they're still partialists, right? right? Brahma is not doing anything for continuation. Yeah. Vishnu's not bringing it to an end. Yeah. Shiva's not bringing, uh, not continuing anything or bringing anything new to be. Mm-hmm. So that you can't just see gods and the number three and go, oh, yeah, see, yeah. you stole that a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and there's 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 more of them. That's the other thing that, that throws a wrench in the mix, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, it's it could be also, like, kind of like modalism in some instances because it's, like, the power of Brahma when it's being done, when, when it's being operated in regards to a particular theme is expressed through, like... Krishna, the God of love or whoever else, right? Like, so it's like, it's just, it's not, you can't draw straight lines between what we believe and what, what's believed in Hinduism. No, I don't even think you can draw a line of deviation, right? So, Mm -hmm. so we would say, and we have said through this, um, with Islam, with, uh, uh, Baha'i, you can see deviation from the Christian teaching, yeah. right? Where this is obviously a Christian teaching that was has mm-hmm. been has been moved on from, mm-hmm. uh, but there's not even that that just doesn't exist here. It's totally different at all in any way. Yeah. And and sometimes non-religious people just choose to say, "Well, you both believe that there's a God, so you're kind of starting in the same point." Mm. But that's not the case, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, totally agree. So some some of the just kind of basic terms that give us an understanding of like the worldview within Hinduism. So something we've talked about al- already, this like continuous cycle of life and death of all things, including the universe over and over again is known as samsara. Mm-hmm. So that is like, that's just like, again, big picture. What is the universe? The universe, is, again, is is always in this cycle of, you know, birth, maturing, destruction, rebirth, and it's just over and over again. Uh, the next is karma, 
which I mean is obviously a term that's kind of made its way into our vernacular even today. It's because li- Taylor Swift. Because Taylor Swift. It's li- <laughs> everything's everything's because of Taylor Swift. Um, cause and effect. It's literally just cause and effect is what it is. It's it's it, and this is deeply connected to their idea of reincarnation of the the person, right? So your your actions have an effect, and so your actions impact the quality of not just this life, but also your future life. Right. And your current state, your current situation is largely shaped by your actions in a previous life, whether it's the life immediately previous to you or many before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's, it's not even based on a standard of moral good. Right. There, there's, not a, there's not a basic standard of this is, this is what it means Mm. to do to do well in this life mm. and come back as a reincarnated next level right right because this is this is intrinsically tied to dharma right yes and so dharma is basically the stay in your lane yeah kind of an idea for you were created for a purpose you need to do that purpose well right and you need to stay there right right so, so for instance, for instance, the reason I say it's not tied to a specific moral passage is mm. you might look to this and you might say, okay, so, so basically the way karma works and the progression through the, the various lives works is that um, even if you're born as the, the lowest of classes, you just want to be generous, you want to be gracious, you want to be friendly, you want to put others first and all that kind of stuff. And then when you die, you get another chance to do it, but you just get a better apartment, Yeah. right? And you move your <laughs> way up. But that's not true. Mm. Uh, there is an opportunity for some of the greatest tyrants in all of history to say, I was created right. to attack those people and execute genocide. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of the Vedas tell stories of men who were convinced that they didn't want to lead an army mm. into an attack, but they were told, this is your dharma. Right. You were born yeah. to lead this attack and the removal of those people, and if you don't do it, mm. if you take what you might see as the moral high ground of being a peaceful person, then you're not doing your dharma and you're actually going to regress yeah, because it's not about doing what is universally decided as moral. It's mm. about doing what you're supposed to do, right? And doing that well, right? Right, for sure. And again, that sounds very odd to us. And I'm sure you know if George Harrison from the Beatles were here, he would be like, "No, no, 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 no. That's not what Hinduism teaches." But by and large, in its country of origin, that is that is what it is. Yeah, that, that's that's literally what it a is. A portion of the Vedas are are just that poem played out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the idea is that, and then so this 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 um, theory of karma and this application of of dharma, the right living, but it's not it's right living of like yeah, stay in your lane is that's that's the best way to describe it. So, hold on, here's a question for you. Yeah. I would love. I would love to sit down with someone and try to wrap my head around this Mm. because let's say, for example, I was living on the streets and I was a thief. Right. Do I need to reform from my thievery Mm -hmm. in order to better live out my dharma Mm -hmm. or is thief 
my dharma right. and I need to double down and just be the best thief I can be. Right. Like what, how, how is a person supposed to know where they're at and well, what role they're playing? Because there is kind of a yin, yin and yang thing going on just to, sure. to bring this in from another uh, religion yeah, right. where there is a, a balance between the good and evil. And if a person's role is to play out mm. the balance of that, that hard side, mm-hmm. how do I know if, if I need to reform and stop doing what I'm doing mm-hmm. in, in order to advance or do I just need to double down on the wrong? The answer is probably going to depend largely on who you're stealing from. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say who you're talking to because it's going to depend. Like if you go to your own guru, whichever guru, whatever source you're going to, it's going to depend on which Vedas and which other texts and which kind of heritage Mm -hmm. of Hinduism that they lean on. And that's going to probably impact the nuance of it. Right. Like, so, I mean, you know, India is a modern society, so my guess is that a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, don't steal. Right. right? But, right. but de- again, historically, like depending on where, you know, what the the religious heritage is of whatever particular stream of Hinduism the person you're talking to is from, that might not be the case. Right. And and here here's like a real world evidence for anyone who wants to just say, you guys are you guys are Christians, you're just right. oversimplifying Hinduism. Mm. For the favor of your own argument, and it's an entirely peaceable, live at one, the universe is one kind of a thing. If that were the case, the current government of India would not be killing Christians and burning down their homes and their churches. Yeah. The reason they can do that and get away with it is because that's their dharma. Yeah. That's what they were created to do, and they have to do it. Yeah. Their dharma is to unify, unify the nation of India. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, salvation then is, is the goal and that's known as moksha. So moksha is the equivalent of salvation. And essentially what it is, is it's reaching the end of that reincarnation cycle. So every, every life in the reincarnation cycle is an opportunity to move closer or further away from moksha. Level up. Level up or get kicked down a few levels. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, though, what moksha is is kind of is is actually losing your individual identity and becoming one with the supreme being, or the yeah. supreme mind, or the whatever supreme reality. Yeah, because they do believe in the one individual soul. Yes. Yeah. Every one of us have yeah. singular individual souls that are eternal, but can progress into a oneness with the universe mm-hmm. outside of. The individuality, because right. individuality is not the goal, mm-hmm. the it, oneness is. Yeah, the individuality is actually the obstacle. Which and, is interesting when people want to throw out and just do the whole like you to you boo kind of approach to Hinduism. Yeah, that's not what it is at all. Right. Yeah, it's lo- you lose you. Uh, and yeah, so Which is wildly exclusive yeah. <laughs> and dogmatic. Yeah, so it's achieved this idea of, of like getting to a place where like doing things that are going to get you closer to moksha are they're essentially divided into four different ways um, that all have the word yoga in them. So there's karma yoga, which is kind of that is that is connected to the dharma, that kind of like doing what you should be doing 
because for, simply because you, you know you should be doing it and not for your own benefit or whatever, just because this is who I'm supposed to be, this is what I'm supposed to do, um, whatever whatever that might look like. There's the bhakti yoga, which is, that's like the devout spiritual service, so that's like that's like doing all the rituals, doing the, the pilgrimages, that sort of thing. Um, the fasting, the crazy, crazy fasting, right? Like you'll hear about guys in India who just like, yeah, this dude hasn't eaten anything but like, these like seeds for the last 25 years of his life. And it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, there's the Janana yoga, which is uh, studying and reflecting on the sacred texts. So closer to, <laughs> closer to what we do, right? So that it's reading it reflecting on it, learning it. Um, and then Raja yoga, which is like, this is a little bit closer to what, like, what we understand in the West as yoga, which is like preparing your mind and body through exercise and meditation. And again, it's, but all four of them, ultimately, the goal is to, to deny yourself in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Either I'm fulfilling my purpose, it's not about me, uh, I'm doing these rituals because it's not about me, I'm reflecting on the, the words because it's not about me, um, or I'm going to just discipline myself so much that I don't, yeah, essentially self-discipline to the point of like self-deprecation kind of, it's, it's yeah, hard to, to this c- point of self-denial, self-denial. Yeah. Sorry. Self-denial. That's what I was going for. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's again, but then how this plays out and which one of those is emphasized, um, as the best way towards moksha again is going to depend on who you're learning from and what is being prioritized. Right. So there's going to be Hindus who like are like, yeah, just like, you know, try to be a good person, try to do do my thing. And then there's going to be people who are like, you know, sitting in ashes and, you know, and like, you know, or whatever it might be. Right. Or like so there's just there's just it's all it's all across the board. Yeah. And and the this is where this is where Dharma plays a major role in the confusion is that in so many ways, it is the sort of, you do what you were here to do, and no one, maybe even yourself, really knows what that means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you need to stay in that lane. Right. From this comes one of the most devastating aspects of Hinduism, yep. the caste system. Yep. When, when the concept of Dharma first came to be, it was all based on skills and talents and a person could move between dharma throughout their life mm. right it was about like you know maybe as a young person you have this artistic ability and that's what you just really need to dig into but eventually you feel led to move over toward a sort of like leader of society and humanitarian kind of a thing. And you can move between those dharmas through time. It had nothing to do with caste and what you were born into until the fifth century, arguably, with uh, a book known as The Laws of Manu. Okay. When all of a sudden it has to do with you're born into your dharma, you're mm-hmm. born into your caste, right? And you need to live that out well and stay in that lane. Right. I, I think Hindus would rightly 
really push against this because especially when they want to do like no 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 this has been around for a very long time mm. and I hate it when Christians are when people are like oh that part of Christianity is just Plato right right but this right. is a really platonic kind <laughs> of a thing Plato had this notion of there are the different metals that uh, represent different levels of people okay it's why we give out gold silver, gold, and, silver bronze. and bronze in yep. uh, in the Olympics interesting uh, because that's how people are ranked, just by their nature, who they are. And okay. in some ways, the Olympic Games just proves that. Mm. You are a silver level competitor. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your silver. <laughs> um, and, and and so in the 5th century, which is very much post-Plato, right? Uh, even, even if I'm not going to say borrowed from, yeah. the ideas are at least comparable, mm. uh, it, it becomes this thing of you are born into your caste and you have to stay there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is upward mobility is a negative. Yeah. And I, in the same way, moving downward is also a negative. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So to try to seek upward mobility in this life actually prevents you from potentially getting it in the next. So that's how you keep people satisfied is say, look, you're lower class. But if you can just be a good lower class person and be satisfied with where you're at, then chances are you're going to get a bump yeah, next, do, next time around. You need to do lower class well. Yeah. You need so to not have can, stuff well. Yeah. Yeah. And so and be happy about it. Yeah. So so essentially, let's like the, the class system, uh, you have the, at the top, the Brahmins, like who would have thought they'd have like the same name as the, the creator the, God, the creator God. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So priestly class intellectual spiritual leaders um the reality is is a lot of uh a lot of the indian people that you might meet here not all of them but a lot of the affluent people are going to be coming from the top two classes because the people in the lower classes aren't able to get out of india so well, just, they just, shouldn't get out of India, <laughs> right. because if they do, that would be the pursuit of upward mobility. Right, 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 right. So the next one is, now this has a, a number of pronunciations, uh, Kshatriyas, um, warrior class, historically, um, you know, protectors of society, mm-hmm. public servants, soldiers, that's kind of thing, that's the next step down. Um, then you've got the Vaisyas, which are like artisans, merchants, skilled labor, Right, like they're the blue collar guys who do well for themselves, essentially. And next is the shudras, that's unskilled labor. And then outside the system itself, yeah, you have the dalits, the untouchables. And like they are so untouchable that like Gandhi himself didn't have compassion for them. Like he didn't, he didn't, he didn't recommend um, embracing them. And yeah. this is Gandhi who we've elevated to be such a such a you know example of of love and respect but like there was no love there was no love for them yeah theoretically india claims to not discriminate based on caste that's not something that they do in their country but like they definitely do like they totally they they totally do yeah i didn't know this but on on modern dating websites mm. in india there is an opportunity for you to announce your class mm-hmm. and your preferred class. Right. Still. Yeah. Uh, people are increasingly putting no preferred class mm-hmm. 
uh, but it is still there an option. Oh yeah, and and I you don't want to use the word classist, although it's the most fitting word. But it's, you don't want to define a word with a word. But to say to someone, your yeah. your job, like you were born to go get my coffee, right? And the happiest you will ever be is to do a good job going to get my coffee. Uh-huh. And the best way to move up out of this rank is to go get my coffee well. Right. For the rest of your life. <laughs> what a way to run a society. What a way to run a society. Or to, to look and say, we're under attack. You go die for our people. Yeah. Because that's what you were born to do. My kids weren't. I wasn't. <laughs> but you and your kids were. Yeah. Yeah. Go die for our country yep. and do it well. But then to say to a group, you're not even in this system. Yeah. Your job is to do the such disgusting and menial tasks mm-hmm. that you like even if you do that well, you're not yeah. you're not moving up. Your job is to your job is to live in the dump. And it is it is literally if if you're going to say that the classes identify the different stages of humanity right and the roles they they have in order to play out their dharma mm-hmm. to we've oft, people often say the untouchables are seen as less than human mm. this is what that means right the class system is dharma and the progression into oneness with the universe Mm-hmm. The untouchables are outside of that mm. in the same way that other life forms might be outside of that. Right. Right. Yeah. So although they, they may look human, yeah. they're not. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, there are all sorts of different like we could we could go on to talk about holidays and festivals and different um cultural practices but i think we should spend just some time yeah 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 this just, is going to be this is going to go longer cuz yeah. there's not enough for a third but there's yeah. yeah well it's we can just kind of like we can spend some time just talking about like how how would we go about building a relationship and having spiritual conversations and potentially um you know explaining the gospel to someone who is Hindu or engaging with their, their faith system as we unpack ours, right? Like what are some ways to do that? And I want to first begin by saying like, it's, it's tricky. Like Mm. I was more thrown that conversation that I spoke about last, last week, um, with this highly educated, he was Brahmin. He was like, and he had been trained to be a spiritual leader. So he's a deep thinker. Um, and I was just surprised. I was kind of on my back foot cause I'm like, we're not speaking the same language. Like I can, I can go back and forth with, with Muslims way easier. And I'm like, I don't even know how to, how to talk to this guy. And since then kind of have done a bit more digging and learned, learned a lot from him about his own belief system at that time. But it's, uh, you're coming at things from a very, very different worldview. And so you just have to keep that in, in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, like I would say like, like praying for, for wisdom, if you do get that opportunity, right? Like you've established a relationship with someone and Hey, you know what? They're actually interested in understanding what you believe. And you know, you've expressed interest in, in hearing from them. 
That's that's the time you want to pray that the Holy Spirit is going to give you words because the conversation is likely going to go in ways that you don't expect. Um, just yeah. just by nature of the 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 sheer difference in worldview. Yeah. Anytime you walk into a cross cultural environment, the best thing to do is just keep your eyes and ears open. Mm-hmm. When you when you go in with preconceived ideas, you go in planning to fail. Yeah. That's just, that's missionary training 101, right? You have to go into cross-cultural environments with your ears and your eyes open. Mm -hmm. Don't assume that anything is. Mm -hmm. You need to figure out what is as you go. For sure. It's all playing it um, as it it comes up. And, And that's where I think the best way to go into these things is to just say, as we're praying for wisdom, what that looks like is less of... God, tell me what to say to convince them. Mm-hmm. It might be more beneficial to say, God, give me the wisdom to keep my ears and eyes open right. and keep down my preconceived notions mm-hmm. until I'm able to piece this thing together and figure out where they're coming from. Yeah. Right? God, give me wisdom not to give right answers. God, give me wisdom to ask right questions. Right. Yep. Yep. Right? For sure. And then to understand those questions from a mindset that's not my own right which is a wildly difficult but beneficial skill mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and then as you're able to piece things together to say oh i see where you're coming from then continuing to ask questions i think is the best way to address hinduism mm-hmm. because in in asking the questions you're going to force them into a, a, a train of thought mm which inherently needs authority, a reference point. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to deal with things like conflict, right? Right. Universal oneness, mm-hmm. the good of all. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, what about the caste system? Yep. Right? And if they want to divorce the caste system from Hinduism, you have to say, okay, nobody else operates like this. Right. How do you go about making that separation? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. If you're going to say they're not the same, you've got to notice that it's born from that. It's practiced to this day mm-hmm. only in that. Right. So explain that to me. Right. Right. And and sometimes these sorts of challenges are the best things uh, to go with. Areas where we can agree. Sure. Oneness of soul, the individual soul. Yep. To be reunited with the creator yeah not in that we would lose our individual soul right but that we would live as we were intended to live with Mm -hmm. them i think is a more beautiful picture than to cease to be Mm -hmm. um and i i think even though most people would i think most people would say becoming one with the universe is the final goal Mm. i think they still see themselves as the individual who is one with the universe Right. Which is not really oneness and, and, and might even agree, no, that is the better picture, mm-hmm. right? Instead of like ceasing to be, to be one, mm-hmm. um, living out what I was created to live out, which is the worship of God and the mm-hmm. representation of his image mm-hmm. in his presence, mm-hmm. right? I think these are uh, some areas where there's a level of connectivity. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and I think so... <sighs> Another thing is 
much of Hinduism speaks of of avatars, these mm-hmm. like um, manifestations of God. Um, but amongst many Hindus, these these avatars that are spoken of aren't necessarily considered to be historical by many Hindus. Mm-hmm. Um, an advantage that Christianity has is that the quote unquote avatar of God that's semi uh, <laughs> heretical to even say it, but we have we have God in physical form in the person of Jesus Christ, and there is there is very real historical data on yeah. that, um, and so that that is that is a thing, right? Um, that that we can be aware of Jesus being a unique historical person as well as. Um, a, a representation, a manifestation of of the divine, so to speak. Yeah, that's a great point, right? As Hinduism works to be accepted in Western culture, as we talked about in this episode and in the previous episode, um, they're working to bring some level of validity through science. They're not making really those grounds historically. Right. At least not that I've come across. Um, and so I, I think using history and science to say, you're still not there and I don't know how those connections would go from here to there is is a play in your in your favor mm-hmm. uh, if a person is starting to open up to the fact that they might be wrong. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, understanding that like sin, this idea of like, Karma and Dharma, cause and effect, and and doing what you're supposed to be doing matters. But for that reason, like within within the the Hindu faith, like it can make it can take countless lives or life cycles to to make up for the evil deeds of one of your previous lives. And so for that reason, like achieving moksha, salvation, is like is almost impossible for almost everyone. And that thought might be discouraging to some. Yeah. And, and and so and if that's the case with the person that you're speaking to, um, I think there's a there's a great in to talk about the the once for all um, obedience a sacrifice and resurrection of Christ. Yeah, and and I, I hope that people hear my statement about the thief mm. as a belittling of the concept, mm. right? Should I reform from my thievery or should I just be the better thief? Mm. Um, the point of that is is not to say, see how ridiculous this, this is, they're all ridiculous and how can anyone even know? If you're truly given to that worldview and wanting to do what's right, but the concept of right has no anchor, mm-hmm. no authority, mm-hmm. no point of reference, yeah. no French meter stick. Yeah. How, how helpless a feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And, and all you can do is go with what feels right. That, that's, to me, a hopeless notion. Right. Instead, man, wouldn't it be great if someone just came along and said, "Hey, this is these are the answers to your questions," mm-hmm. um, and in fact, it's not going to take multiple tries. Mm. Um, where you're 
you have no coherent knowledge yeah. of how you got to work. Maybe you are in the process of advancing. I don't know. Right. Maybe you did something last time and you got demoted. Right. I don't know. How do you know? That's where am I? Thing. Where am I at in this process? Mm. Right. Um, but you know what? I'm the one who knows you mm-hmm. is delivering you mm-hmm. from your sin and into His presence. Mm-hmm. Um, what a hopeful and meaningful thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the truth of the gospel is a is a bad news, good news thing for someone in Hinduism. Because the bad news is you can never you can never get karma in your favor enough. You can never apply that dharma, that appropriate living enough to reach moksha. You can't. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. And so, I mean, that is eviscerating. <laughs> That's eviscerating their worldview. So be careful about how and when you, you drop that bomb on people. But... Um, but that's just that's the bad news, and then the good news is that it's been done for you, right? Um, it's not just saying, "Hey, there's a way out of this system." It's like, I think you know deep down, you can you know yourself. You like, do you really think that you, as an individual, could ever fully align each and every aspect of your life perfectly? And then, and then to be honest, you know, depending on what stream of Hinduism that they're in. What is that perfect standard? Like you said, what's the meter stick? Because in in a polytheistic situation, if there's multiple gods, which God determines what's right and what's wrong, mm-hmm. if it's more pantheistic, well, that's a problem too because if everything is divine, then who's to say anything is right and wrong? Mm-hmm. And so then the whole karma thing doesn't really line up and it's like, well, what is like? why is anyone being punished for anything if everything is part of the divine? Yeah. And why why are some things... Why would anything need to be adjusted or shifted if it's all just part of the whole and the whole is perfect and amazing? So again, yeah. there's again, these aren't gotchas, just hammers to drop on people. But these are places where if you get the opportunity to be, you know, to to have a frank discussion and, and really help share <clears throat> where the gospel meets the gaps, these are these are some places I think to lead the discussion. Yeah, and um, sometimes I feel like people people get hung up on the whole like I, I don't know what first things to say, right? And uh, in in doing that, they their idea, as I said earlier, is like I, I've got to be able to address the situation. Um, sometimes the stirring up of the questions and the confusion is exactly where you need to begin. Yep. To say, hey. My church has two pastors, and they pretend like they know what they're talking about mm. uh, in your culture. Right. And <laughs> all they did was make it worse. Can you explain this to me? Because right. I didn't. I don't understand what they're saying. Right. Right. And that itself is an opportunity to start that process of listening and yeah. learning that person. Yeah. And I think though, some people are good at starting the open conversation. Like some people want to start with the ending. So some people just want to drop the gospel hammer on them. Right, which we're saying, nope. Like, get to know people, learn, but don't let it never get there. Like that. That's really important. Like, because because I know that some of our listeners know people who are Hindu or Muslim or whatever, and you might have been building relationships, and have conversations with them, but like, you 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 can't allow your 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 good and right desire to be sensitive and charitable and a listener first, 
to then prevent you from actually doing the thing that you've been explicitly called to do. Right. Um, so it's kind of like, just don't, don't get ahead of yourself, but don't get stuck in just being friendly mode forever. That's not... That's, so here's my illustration for that, mm. because I, I think that's an, an incredible point. A lot of people do the whole like, oh, well, I'm, I'm working to build a relationship to this end. Well, mm. the question is, are you still journeying or have you just camped out where you are? Right. In, in Latin America, anyone who spends any time traveling around Latin America, uh, if you get out of your resort and into actual Latin America... You'll notice that there are a lot of buildings that are unfinished mm-hmm. everywhere you go. Yep. Rebar sticking up out of the top of the walls, yep. floors that have been begun and, and no one is working on them. And they've been that way for a long time. And it looks awful, but they're prevalent. And the question is, like, was there a boom and then like an immediate bust? Like, What happened? Why are all of these... Why are there so many buildings? And in some instances, especially in poorer areas, more common than not, you have buildings that were begun and unfinished. Yep. Oh, yeah. The reason is that it was always planned to be that way. And many, at least the two that I lived in and one that I work with, in these countries, you don't have to pay property taxes until the building's finished. And if you start hanging trim, then the building is obviously finished. Right. But if you still got rebar sticking out of the roof, now there's a, a plan yep. to go another floor up. This is a construction project. We've just run out of money, and we've been living in this construction project for 30 years not paying our, our uh, property taxes. Wow. And that's how we do relationship building sometimes. I think that's what you're yep. expressing yep. is that sometimes we say, well, I'm trying to build a relationship so that, but really we don't even have a plan right. to execute the so that mm-hmm. um, because we're scared of actually arriving. Yeah. So we do we do the perpetual execution yep. of the not a plan. And here's the thing too, guys, like if you're building a friendship, I know we're going over, but I, I want to say this because this has been my experience. Um, with a couple of friends of mine, one, one who's Muslim and, and like we built the friendship, shared the gospel with him. He didn't go for it. We continued having discussions, still hasn't gone for it. Still his friend. I think a lot of people think if I invest in this friendship and then I take the direction to the gospel, either they're going to get born again or we're going to be mortal enemies after that. It's like, no, like, yeah. that's not how it works. Or, you can still or we their... have to stop being friends and move on. Yeah, like, no, you can like, still be their friend. They're your friends, <laughs> you not your project. Still be their friend. Exactly. But but if you love them, that, that love, like you should at least at some point hope to get to the place where you can really share that foundational hope that you have mm-hmm. in, in Jesus, right? And so, and again, and their response to it is not going to either, you know, it's not going to shatter your, your friendship. In, in all likelihood. So, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. See ya.